It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. You know, I, I don't hold a hose, mate, and I, I don't sit yeah. in control room. They're answers that only can come from Victoria, I'm afraid, because that's not my job. But well, I ain't spending any time, because in the meantime, every three months, a person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. Well, g'day, listeners, and welcome once again to the Two Jacks, where we discuss all matters political and media in Australia, and then take a good hard look around the world. And joining me from around the world is Hong Kong Jack in Hong Kong. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm very well. And uh, how are things in Hong Kong today? Uh, pretty good, but much quiet. Nothing nothing happening here anywhere near as interesting as what's happening in Australia. Oh, it's, it's all happening in Australia at the moment. Grand final week, of course, and by the time this comes out, we may well know the winner. But uh, uh, oh, well, the, the winners of the two codes. And, of course, we're going to have to uh, discuss the ARU and, um, and Rugby Union in Australia, which has taken a big dive after Australia's exit from the World Cup in the group stage. Um, now, the big news, of course, out of the blue, Jack, Dan Andrews. Reign of terror is over. And, uh, and and he re- officially retired as Prime Minister, I think it was uh, last night at five o'clock, wasn't it? It was. He announced it on the uh, on the Tuesday and he on was Tuesday. gone by Wednesday. And there's been yeah. a lot of speculation as to why he moved so quickly and without any apparent notice to people. Um, a lot of very odd conspiracies about this. but Very, very, some very, the, very but, tortured conspiracies around this, Jack. But the solution to me seems, you know, the, the answer to me seems quite clear. Um, uh, last week he was photographed smoking a dart at the, yeah, back, at, at the back of a function that he was at. Um, and once that became public, he had to go. He had to resign for smoking a cigarette. Yeah, I, yeah I, because I, it's because it's okay to fill your arm fill your arm with anything or snort the entire contents of Columbia, but you can't fire up a bedroom and hedges. Well, um, what, what what would public health authorities make of it, Jack? Yeah, that's right. And and, and besides, I think he sort of figured out that. If he, if he couldn't avoid the boring parts of one of, one of these functions by nipping out the back to fire up a smoke, um, what's the point in going on? The job is not a job. Job sucks a bit, so it's time to go. Now, he is, for mine, the only Premier or indeed Prime Minister who increased his majority on two subsequent occasions, elected three times as Premier of Victoria, and uh, each re-election attempt increased his parliamentary majority. Jack, can you yeah. remember any Premier having done that? You have to go back a fair while. I think Neville Rand did that. Um, uh, and, I, no, um, I don't think he did. I, 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 basically, you know, you, you, you might be re-elected, but not with an increased majority. I, oh, actually no, I think he back. did. I think he did, and I think, I think Henry Bolte did as well. Um, I was uh, going to suggest Bolte as, as a possible. And, um, and these, are, these are the premiers that Dan reminds me of, Bolte, uh, Ran, and Joe Bielke-Peterson, for that matter. Um, they ran a one uh, – everything ran out of their office, and it did with him. Um, uh, and he was able to monster the media in the way that they all could. He could speak to the people over the top of the media. Yeah, well, let's have a look at some of the laments and not so lamenting 
uh, column and inches that uh, his retirement has taken up. Uh, Patricia Carvelis mm. says his daily COVID press conferences in the iconic North Face jacket. Why is everything icon- iconic these days, Jack? Uh, I don't know. I think I think it just comes up automatically on the screen when you start typing. <laughs> yeah, it almost does. And of course, we have. Uh, Dan Andrews, as uh, often described in op-eds, as a polarising figure, Jack. Another terrible bloody cliche. Um, But there he was in the iconic North Face jacket, according to Patricia Kellers, were both a symbol of comfort and alarm. Not the the jacket, but his press conference attendance, uh, depending on who you ask, and the unique lived experience of lockdowns. God. Yeah, uh, do you think there might be a special autocorrect thing for journalists where these where these words pop up? You know, look if you look just for any columnist listening in, if you uh, go for the I button followed by the C button on your keypad and think, yeah, I'm going to use the word iconic, please stop. It's just a terrible, terrible cliche. Ferg, my good mate uh, at the Oz, John Ferguson. Uh, he he came out with something different, uh, didn't go the iconic route, uh, and I don't believe, God bless him, didn't go down the polarising figure route either. Um, but he said, don't expect Andrews to be apologetic. Uh, I am not a regretful person. I don't look back, uh, Ferg quoted uh, Dan is saying, he said at the back of Melbourne's Parliament House, Andrew's place in history will be defined by his handling of the pandemic where Melbourne and Victoria endured some of, endured some of the world's harshest lockdowns. It speaks volumes about how much Victoria has moved on that Andrew's faced barely a question about his handling of the pandemic. But it is evident that that catapulted, I should say, the Premier's style into national prominence. Um... And he likened him a bit to Jeff Kennett, Jack. There's another uh, polarising figure that uh, that uh, that, that uh, Ferg reckons is a parallel with. I think that that's the case in many ways. But but uh, um, uh, Jeff had the had the finger on the self destruct button uh, in his political career. Never far away from from uh, from all, all sorts of mischief. Um, and, and Kaz Samaras, I really like this actually. Um, he grew up, says he grew up playing on one political football field, a field where mainstream media political tradition has spent many years trotting on. When he became leader, he walked off that field and onto another political football field where tradition, legacy, political norms had no place. He was hated for that move. Uh, than any other reason, more for that move than any other reason. He disempowered power, an overlooked factor that was really attractive to a a growing number of voters. By the way, Cos says, I am no Dan Stan. When he got elected, around 18% of the voters' role was made up of millennials. In 2014, he just won. By 2022, their number, along with Gen Z, sat on around 40%. They live on that other playing field, Jack. It's quite true that he he, he shunned the the norms of media. There was a long boycott with Neil Mitchell's 3AW, um, which uh, has, I think, the biggest audience um, in uh, on radio in the mornings in Melbourne. 
um, and, uh, and and he tended to shun, with the exception of the iconic North uh, North Face jacket um, during the pandemic, his press conferences there. He tended to uh, keep his press conferences pretty pretty light, um, and uh, and he adopted instead for us more of a social media prominence. Uh, he wouldn't go on Virginia Trioli's program either. Uh, That's on, right. On, on, yeah. on the ABC. Um, it wasn't just Neil Mitchell. Um, people tend to get confused about this, I think. Yes, the social media is important, but as I said earlier, I think that um, some of the long-term uh, uh, dynamic premiers, Bielke, Peterson, Rand, Bolte, were all able to speak to the people over the, cross, over the top of the ordinary media. Um, uh, Andrew's just found a new way to do that. Right. Um, who have we got here? Oh, there's the various Twitter reactions, Jack. Who came up with this? Dan Andrews was successful because he was both things, a politician of the modern age who eschewed tradition, did things his way and understood communication in all its forms. A leader, an old-style traditional leader who led from the front and understood how to lead by example. I gather we're talking about a number of Twitter reactions here. Um, love him or loathe him, history will show Andrews as one of the great Australian political leaders. Uh, when, when do the statues come up, Jack? Um, I don't think they will. Um, I think a fair assessment of how the government went, not just him as a leader, but how the government went um, uh, during um, his, what, nine years as as undisputed uh, leader was that they got a lot of things built um, uh, and uh, they, they fixed a few ongoing problems in doing that, but it was... Uh, but there were problems. First of all, the debt's horrendously high. Um, uh, I think I think the the, the the debt of Victoria is bigger than Queensland, New South, and New South Wales combined. Yes, that's uh, right. And, that and the standard right. of conduct. This is from Bernard Keane, who I'm not normally a fan of. The standard of conduct, not to mention accountability, in Andrew's government was appalling. But he floated above it all. Even when grilled and criticised by the state's underpowered anti-corruption body. If Andrews was the Labor leader, his leadership tended to turn into vapour any time something went wrong. And he goes on to talk about all the things that um, where Andrews was able to skate by, the quarantine hotels, there was an inquiry into that, nothing to do with him. Uh, the Crown Casino kerfuffle, um, uh, he had a close uh-huh. relationship with the Crown Casino people, nothing to do with Andrews. Um, uh, the Red Shirts uh, uh, incident at the beginning of his prem- uh, premiership, uh, when um, uh, public funds were used to campaign for Labor by people in red shirts. Again, there was an inquiry, but nothing to do with Andrews. No, uh, and so that's an amazing be- capacity to do that, especially when the whole government was run out of his office. But you, 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 would, love, you would love the IBAC, wouldn't you, Jack? I mean, compared to the ICAC. Yeah, I, I think it's better. This, this should be sort of out better? in it's, 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 it's awful. I mean, basically, it can be largely ignored by Parliament. It has extraordinary restrictions on what it can and cannot investigate. And, um, and, and when it makes findings that are not criminal, they're just like Dan and others have just gone, well, let's move on. So uh, well, that's yeah. what so, so I think it's a mi- I think it's a mixed record. Like all. Uh, well, how would he have got on with an ICAT? Um, much the same. Really? Yeah, because there's all he's done is made. Um, 
Oh, there's a couple of things where they might have decided what it was just grubby politics was actual corruption, and that's wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. There's a there's a distinction to be made between corruption, between public corruption, and uh, it moving into the criminal sphere. Um, Peter Peter Lawler uh, <laughs> had some interesting Twitter exchanges. He said, "I'm going to miss Dan." I'd have hated to be Victorian during the epidemic, but the way he drove the right-wing media insane was always amusing. What will Peter do now, I presume? That's, that's Peter, Peter Credlin, I presume he's referring to. Nominal Victorian is Peter um, uh, encouraged to have a go in, in Victorian politics, um, uh, but never ever did, uh, hasn't yet anyway. Uh, and someone replied to Peter Law, so, so in other words, you enjoyed watching other people suffer because people who complained about it made you laugh. And Peter Law said, pretty much, yeah. Mm. And then the response was, yeah, our daughter basically missing out on two foundational years of schooling was hilarious. What a F-wit. I think that's directed at Pete. Um, we'll talk about lockdowns and so forth there, but part of Dan's success must be explained by the weakness of the Victorian Liberal Party, Jack. You know, it's not, it's not hyperbole to suggest it was a one-party state, essentially. I mean, there were parliamentary processes uh, and they have not got a... Uh, I don't think they've enjoyed a, um, a majority in the upper house for a little while uh, on their, in their own right, but uh, just thumping, uh, thumping majority in, uh, in the lower house. Uh, and... A failure both of the uh, official opposition um, uh, and to the extent that he got stuff wrong, there was a failure of um, his opposition within the Labor Party. Well, yes. So let's talk about his faction. You're an old SL boy yourself, Jack. I am. Uh, So, uh, you know, you would have loved him. You would have loved him. Treated him like uh, Mao and all your other heroes. Um, uh, that mis- misunderstands what the SL is. The SL sort of, I used to call it 3,000 factions <laughs> I can three. Help myself. Um, I uh, can it help was myself. A, a very divided faction. Um, and it, what went wrong in Victoria to the extent that it did go wrong, there were a lot of successes, but the, but the failures really come back to two things. As you say, the, a failure of Liberal opposition and a failure of people within the Labor Party to fight back against Andrew's running everything out of his office. Well, he did have a few blokes on the right there getting involved in some fairly serious um, um, uh, branch stacking exercises. Uh, he uh, he gave the flick to one of them, uh, Sam Elliott, um, and uh, amid uh, allegations of you know really sort of industrial scale branch stacking there to the right. Um, but let's talk about his replacement, Jack Jacinda Allen, who was among other things, a member for the Commonwealth Games that won't happen. Um, what sort of a job do you expect her to do? Uh, just before you before you answer that question, and please contemplate your answer, um, I did notice that she talked yesterday, uh, and she spoke yesterday, about the legacy, not just from Dan. In fact, Dan was the third mention, and and uh, she was talking about Steve Brax and, uh, and, and, and Brumby and Andrews. Uh, as being her sort of political heroes and the great heroes of the Victorian public. Um, she's a, uh, a... The only job she's ever had is in politics. Right. Um, she was um, a, a staffer of various kinds uh, post-university uh, and then was um, 
unexpectedly elected, I think, in, in Bendigo East, um, uh, when she was 25. Um, and uh, she was a bit of a protege of Steve Brax. Um, uh, he promoted her very quickly. She was a minister at 28. Um, she's gone fairly well. The Commonwealth Games is not not, not going to be a, um, a, a not, not a not a not a shining uh, not a shining example on her resume. Yeah, uh, but she was not able to um, uh, to achieve what it's believed Andrews wanted, which was to take the leadership and have Tim Pallas, um, his long-standing treasurer, um, come in as deputy. Um, yeah, that's gone to Ben Carroll, the member for Nidri. That's gone to Ben Carroll because the right, who don't have the numbers, bunged on a blue um, uh, at the caucus meeting on Wednesday. As it turns out, the short retirement period that Andrew set um, uh, didn't help the socialists left. There's a, actually a three-day nominations period for, um, for the leadership, um, but they needed to get it done in a single day because of the... Um, uh, timing that, that Andrews had put on it, um, and the right very sensibly bunged on a blue and said, "We won't, we won't cop this, um, uh, and we'll challenge the nominations unless you get rid of Tim Pallas as deputy and we get our person up there." Um, so that's what happened. And uh, and, and Alan, uh, Jacinta Allen, and uh, and her deputy were elected unopposed. Jack, they were, um, and, uh, and hooray, and unity. And I've got no doubt that um, that they're in breach of the Labor Party rules, but no one, no one's now going to challenge it, so that's okay, um, and they can get on. But it slightly changes the dynamic within the party. She won't have the authority to run the whole thing out of her office the way that Andrews did. That's right. And, look, what does the Liberal Party now do, Jack? I mean, on the numbers alone, the sort of, uh, the sort of swing required for them to form government in their own right at the next election, still some three years away. Uh, uh, have they got any chance at all? Um, uh, short of the Labor Party making a complete pig's breakfast of it, probably not. Mm. Um, and what should they be doing, Jack? So, I mean, what should the Liberal, what should, what should the Victorian Liberal Party be doing? Uh, a bit of fresh the, blood, it, you know, it's force a, it's a few a, bums off seats and get some... Get some uh, get some new ones in. It's like when your footy clubs um, uh, um, been at the bottom of the ladder for four or five years. It's never just one thing. It's tear it down and start again. Uh, new structure, new people, um, and get going. All right. Now another Victorian politician, uh, Josh Frydenberg, has uh, declined to run again uh, as uh, the member for Ooh Menzies. Menzies, isn't it? No, no, not Menzies. Um, Kuyong, of course. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, and uh, he's decided he's uh, had a look in the pasture he's in, and uh, which is uh, uh, the the, the uh, boss hog at Goldman Sachs, and decided that's going to be a whole lot easier for him to do than politics, Jack. He has taken a good job at Goldman Sachs. Um, uh, it's a it's a good multi country multi country job, regional uh, uh, chair. Um, and I love this on Twitter. Um, as soon as that was announced. Spare a thought for Scott Morrison today. <laughs> as a former treasurer and former PM, it must be difficult seeing people you're more qualified than you getting job offers outside of politics. Yes, the uh, lamentable Scott Morrison who remains in the parliament because no one else will give him a job. Some talk, Jack, uh, 
that he might uh, get into local politics around the Shire. Uh, we'll see about all of that. But uh, it's not a job. Even if you're mayor, it's not really a job. Um, no, <laughs> so, uh, no, he's no, seen you a can make money doing to... it, but, uh, but ICAC tends to interfere with that. Yeah, that's right. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Now, the uh, elbow uh, before the uh, before the last election promised a an inquiry into COVID and pandemic management, uh, and then uh, he turned around with uh, Sir Humphrey, what appears to be the Sir Humphrey Appleby dictum of all inquiries that you uh, never call one unless you know the outcome first. Um, is that the case here, Jack? We're not looking at the states. We're not looking at the um, uh, the the uh, national cabinet and its musings. Uh, we are simply looking at the federal government's. Basically, it's just a rollout of its uh, of its anti well, it's of its vaccines, and um, and, and I presume things like uh, closing international ports. Yeah, it's sort of we're not looking at anything that um, McGowan or, uh, or or Andrews or Gladys Berejiklian did. Um, or Anna, Anastasia Belichick. We're going to look at what Scott Morrison got wrong. <laughs> Why not? Um, and, look, and, no. and, and there'll be plenty to look at there, so that's okay. But uh, it, it does look like they have read Sir Humphrey's dictum um, mm. uh, and it's uh, going to be a travesty of an inquiry. It is really. And, and, and we deserve a little bit better too because, we as we often say, that, we, that this country and its state and territory governments got a fair bit right over the course of the pandemic. Um, it's important to understand, I mean, I think there's a lot of rearview mirror stuff going on here, but it's important to understand that governments were making decisions in moments that would normally, under normal circumstances, take them a year to announce and implement, Jack. Yes, and, and, and we ought to be fairly forgiven that the errors of the errors that were made but we should identify those yeah. errors so that we don't make them again. Yeah, and so when we get to Dan's long lockdowns, and my memory is that they had to have three days. Was it three days of zero community transmission before they could open up? Or was Something it like that. The worst mistakes were made in Victoria. The ring of steel, the five-kilometre limit, uh, the long lockdowns, the curfew. Curfews, mate. Really, the curfew was absurd. It was uh, really, really, really silly. Um, um, and, 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 and these the idea- should be looked at and people should be – and so people can say, well, this was just wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what we need to be doing here is not so much – um, uh, looking at, or being critical of, of, of policy state, of, of, of policy throughout the states and territories and the federal sphere as well. But what we need to be doing is planning for the next pandemic with yeah. international movement going ahead and pace uh, on pace again. Um, uh, there is a, a greater likelihood that a pandemic won't be a one every hundred year event. It might be way more frequently than and we need to manage around that, how we're going to get on uh, and not destroy our economies uh, in order to keep our communities running. Yeah, a- a- another important factor that's not being addressed and, and it-, it is being looked at by the Australian Human Rights Commissioner, uh, Lorraine Finlay, um, uh, you know, she's pointing out 
that the the restrictions and the errors that were made in COVID impacted um, much more severely on the disadvantaged in the community than on the well-off. Uh, and that's just self-evidently true. Um, if you're a well-off public servant, uh, being locked up at home uh, uh, and working from there or a banker or whatever, that's fine. Um, uh, you know, if you're... Um, you know, a cafe worker um, in the CBD is not so good. Yes. Well, look, uh, David Crow's come out uh, in the uh, Nine Media uh, about the announcement, Elbow's announcement of the uh, of the inquiry you have when you know what the outcome's going to be. And he said, this cheats Australians after a crisis that cost thousands of lives and required an extraordinary $291 billion in emergency spending. The federal government is clearly not interested in digging too deeply into what took place. Could lives have been saved? Was the money well spent? Um, Australians were shut in their homes, driven out of public parks. Yeah, that was another mistake. And stopped at state borders under rules imposed by states and territories, so they will naturally expect a review to weigh up those decisions along with federal decisions on vaccine supply. So what would your ideal inquiry look like, Jack? Would it be a Royal Commission? Yeah, it would be. Um, uh, and one of the th- things so. that Lorraine Finlay, the, the Human Rights Commissioner, said that um, uh, nothing should be out of the scope and the fact that there are quite significant carve-outs is quite concerned. Secondly, human rights need to be front and centre. They aren't even expressly mentioned in the terms of reference at all. And people's human rights were... Um, dramatically impacted by this um, in a way that, um, uh, that generally speaking, Australians would absolutely reject. Now, in some cases, there were good reasons for that, but those reasons need to be explored and the justifications need to be explored and some of them won't stack up. And that's okay. As I say, this shouldn't be a punitive process where we're looking no, to punish people. No, it shouldn't, be a, it shouldn't be a blame exercise. It should be a planning exercise. Yes, yeah. exactly. We, 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 but we need to identify the things that were done that were wrong so we don't do them again. Uh, I, I think it's worth mentioning what Finlay um, uh, mentions in her piece um, to the Nine Media, and that was that, that Mick Fuller, who was New South Wales Police Commissioner in 2021, he told officers they wouldn't be held accountable for wrongly issuing COVID-19 fines as he urged them to go high-level enforcement and put community policing aside. The, the approach led to people being fined $1,000 for eating on the streets or sitting in parks, and 33,000 of the 62,000 fines were later withdrawn. Now, that's another thing that... Uh, and doesn't need to be looked at, but but ultimately the, they, these fines didn't go to court because they probably wouldn't have stood up, Jack. That's right. Um, so there was a lot of police overreach, um, and that needs to be looked at. But it was overreach right across the government. This is not a, a party political thing. It was liberal governments, liberal federal governments, Labor state governments. Um, we We really need to look at what went wrong. Yeah, but we're not, Jack. No. It's pretty much uh, the uh, the potted history of Australian politics there and we had an opportunity and we let it go big. Yeah. Um, uh, and speaking of which, Jack, we must get to the voice now uh, and cost Samaras to quote from him again. Uh, uh, well, uh, I just note the news poll uh, had the yes case at 36%. Um, but Coz has actually done some more work there and demographics. He said after several months of polling, 
There are three groups of Australians who are going to vote yes. These, these three groups have caused major pain for the LNP in 2025. Presumably that's when the next federal election will occur, or is due to occur, because of the position they have taken at a leadership level. Under 35s, university educated, speak another language at home, especially Indian Australians. Ooh, that's a big demographic, Jack. The following federal seats should be a yes, according to Coz, on the 14th of October, and a no for the LNP in 2025. Benelong, which they just hold, North Sydney, which they lost to uh, the Teals, Wentworth, which they lost to the Teals, Kuyong, which they lost to the Teals, Curtin, Brisbane, and Higgins, Jack, uh, which I think Higgins, did they lose Higgins to the Greens? Um, yeah. um, so they've got another, uh, they've got some potential losses there. Um, and he goes, and our latest voice polling published today in short support for yes is still in the high 30s, 38% in our last, latest survey. Um, and, uh, and that does pose an, a number of uh, problems. We've sort of, well, you've made the point that you didn't think there were too many political consequences for either side when we talk about party politics, but this would indicate otherwise, Jack. No, I think those, the, the, the Liberal Party's problems in those seats predate the uh, referendum and will continue after it. They merely confirm them, don't they? That's, yes. that, that, that's, what, that's what they will do. And so then when then and, I, I, and, I know... And, and the, people who, the people on the Labor side who are voting no, uh, and there's lots of them, um, uh, people who are lots, lots of Labor voters who are going to vote no... Um, they're not going to say, I'm going to vote Liberal because I voted no, and, mm. and vice versa. Yeah. Um, uh, look, I noticed that some of the rhetoric. I mean, look, I, I, I can never forget this remark that Peter Dutton made over a year ago. Uh, and he said that the Liberal Party was the party of regional Australia. And I thought, that's that's the National Party, mate. That's not the Liberal Party. So it, it would... The, the, the more recent rhetoric from from uh, Peter Dutton is that um, uh, the battle, the new battleground, will be fought in the outer suburbs. So he's actually saying that he expects to pick up uh, a parliamentary majority coming from the outer suburbs of Sydney and Melbourne, and to a degree from Brisbane. Now it might occur in Brisbane, but I don't see uh, much change of things in. Uh, in, uh, for the Liberal Party in uh, in the outer burbs either, mate. Uh, well, I don't think he's got much chance of picking up a parliamentary majority anywhere, uh, no matter how he goes about it. Um, his job at the moment is to um, to hold the place together and put it into a, into better shape so it's competitive. Competitive in the next election has a chance of winning the one after. Right. Okay. All right. Um, uh, the right side of history is a vote yes. There's a hashtag there, Jack. Uh, you are who you vote for and what you vote for on Twitter. Um, uh, the voters love the voice and I think it's a wonderful idea, but they are voting against it because of cost of living issues. That's an odd sort of thing, Jack. It is like, a very... You know, voters are it... too stupid to be able to understand nuance. Yeah, um, uh, it's... I read that and I did laugh because uh, that was all over Twitter for a few days that that was the reason the yes vote was down, um, which I thought was quite amusing. It's, it, it, what it does is treat voters as mugs, much as the no votes, if you don't understand it, vote no, 
um, which is almost their campaign slogan now. Um, it it treats treats voters as mugs. It's it's much the same as um, uh, that that perennial thing that uh, when when a state election occurs, uh, commentators are looking for federal implications, as if voters don't understand that they're going to a state election rather than a federal election. Indeed. Um, I mean, voters, have, voters in Australia have always understood the difference. It's not the least bit uncommon for people in a Labor, uh, people who have a Labor state government to vote Liberal in the federal government. Uh, Mike Carton, who is, I, I think we get, we were using Mike in our in our program today as this kind of reverse barometer. If if he thinks it's a good idea, then it probably isn't, or well, at least is not going to not going to succeed. But this is what he said on the big yes rallies that have been taking place on the weekends. This is heartening, inspiring. But a note of caution, I remember Gough Whitlam getting huge, enthusiastic crowds at the Maintain the Rage election in 1975, as do I, Jack, and as would you, yet he didn't win it. There's a long way to go. This is what I talked to you about last week. This is with cookers in Canberra uh, having a rally of, let's say, 35, 40,000 people and thinking from that, looking out at this sea of bobbing heads and saying, well, gee, we, we must control Australia. Um, yeah, it, it, it is an it's a it's an unusual form of delusion, Jack. It, yeah, be well, like looking at a at a packed MCG and, and saying uh, uh, the entire uh, country is co- barracks for Collingwood. Yeah, uh, I can remember nineteen seventy five vividly. Um, I was on those marches. I was what um, uh, twenty years old, I suppose, um, and I remember. Uh, how disheartened I was on election night because I just couldn't believe that could happen having been at those rallies and seen all the people. Um, but you learn some lessons that way. And um, I've people were, people kept um, sending me emails about the big yes rallies and I thought, it's not going to make any difference. Uh, yeah, n- numbers, numbers, you know, they're, they're significant numbers, as Mike Carton quite rightly points out, but they they. they they stand as piddling compared to the vast majority of 16, 17 million voters, Jack. But there's a lot of bewilderment on Twitter. They cannot understand because they don't know, anybody, don't know anybody or nobody who they know has told them they're going to vote no. Um, so they just can't understand the polling, and the polling's terrible. I think the polling in the news poll was 36 for 36, yes. 36, yeah, I said that before. That is, yeah. that is 20 points below where they need to be to yeah. win. Yeah. Yeah. Not a vote cast yet. Um, but uh, Anthony Albanese says pressing ahead with the referendum. He'd been asked, I think uh, Simon Birmingham had told him to pull a pin on it. Uh, he said pressing ahead with the referendum will have been worth it, even if Australians reject the voice on 14th October because it has brought Indigenous disadvantage front and centre in the national conversation. Mm. That seems to can be I, a fair amount of uh, backpedalling there. Can I, can um, I translate that for, uh, for you? We know it's going to lose, um, but it was worth doing it anyway. Yeah, that's right. He said no Indigenous leader had urged him to pull back from the referendum despite the risk it could fail because of the lack of bipartisan support. Nobody had said maybe we should wait, maybe we should just hit the pause button. Um, Greg Craven also weighed, weighed in. Uh, he said, first of all, the voice is not at heart a political or constitutional question. It's about morals and ethics. 
just like euthanasia and refugees, you don't start with the grammatical doubts or oper operational quibbles. You begin with the moral imperative to misquote Mary McKillop, which Greg would, uh, uh, would uh, be well aware of the original quote, when in doubt, do something. So we have to understand the challenges and doubts within the, with the voice within the basic moral equation. Greg supports the vote, uh, supports the, uh, the voice, Jack. Um, what did you make of his column? Um, it's a fundamental misconception, I think, um, uh, that, that this is a moral question. Uh, Australians are much more hard-headed, pra practical and common sense than that. This is clearly a political and constitutional question. That's all it is. We're changing the constitution. We're not determining the future morals of the country. No. All right. Well, uh, on his way out the door, Jack, uh, Dan Andrews has... Uh, Gone hard on landlords, uh, banning all types of rental bidding for good. Renters shouldn't have to go to extremes to lock in a home. And that's why we're making an offence to accept bids and introduce tougher penalties for agents and landlords who break the law. We're levelling the playing field because it's the right thing to do. Now, that's a phrase that is particularly Dan's, one of Dan's, you know, he'll often explain changes by saying they're the right thing to do, Jack. Yeah, um, superficially, this seems like a really good idea. And get it, you, want, you always want to keep away from things like key monies to get a lease or, um, or um, uh, a Dutch auction amongst potential renters. Um, the, the trouble is how to implement it. Um, wow, as, as someone immediately pointed out, what's stopping a landlord from raising the asking price to what they think the highest rent would be and then accepting the best offer below that? Uh, and there's nothing in the, nothing in the proposal that does stop that. Well, what's so, stopping what's stopping what's stopping landlords from doing that is people won't pay it. Yeah, um, so the market will make that determination. Yeah, uh, th these are very hard things to fix with uh, with a few regulations. Uh, extremely difficult, and I sort of get back to this sort of greens continuing to pursue this sort of rental um, rental rise bans and, and things like that, and, and they are simply unworkable. They are simply unworkable, certainly in the federal sphere. The, the federal the feds would have to sit down with all uh, state and territory leaders and work out a way forward where they would come, where the state and territory leaders would come up with with the legislation. Uh, and the feds would have no role. Um, it, it, it's just bizarre work from the Greens, that, you know, to, to continue to persist with this. I guess the politics behind it is pretty sound. Um, they're, they're saying this is our constituency. As we've said, there's a huge have and have not divide in terms of housing in this country. And the Greens have decided, probably just for you know, base political motives, uh, that uh, that they uh, that they they're gone uh, they're gone for one side. Then well, well, they, they don't want to ad address the fact that it's a rental market and it's a selling market. Um, and the problem with the rental market is there's not enough supply. That's why the prices are going up. The Greens don't want to address that because they're um, up to their orchestras in trying to prevent supply with all of their um, uh, not in my backyard stuff. All right, huge story um, broken by Nine Media, uh, Home Affairs Secretary Michael Pozzolo, a very, very powerful, one might argue the most powerful bureaucrat in the country at the moment, um, has uh, been out texting his uh, mate, uh, Liberal Party uh, power broker, uh, Jamie Briggs, and um, 
and making all sorts of political comments, which is a bit naughty if you're supposed to be uh, a, 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 a non-partisan uh, bureaucrat, Jack. If you're supposed to be a civil service. Um, uh, he needed to, um, to watch uh, Yes Prime Minister... Uh, and yes, Minister, and, and, and look at how the Cabinet Secretary and Sir Humphrey uh, interfered um, to make Jim Hacker the Prime Minister, um, uh, because this is what Michael Pizzullo was apparently trying to do, was to have his input into who was going to replace Malcolm yes. Turnbull. Um, uh, and Sir Humphrey, and I can't think the other chap's name, who was the Cabinet Secretary, um, they conducted their conversations about this um, over a, a dry sherry at the club. Um, they didn't commit them to... Um, uh, well, as uh, I understand it, we're probably talking about WICAC communications, so they tend to... They are encrypted and they tend to disappear after a yeah. while. Let's deal with a couple of, couple of obvious questions. The first one is who leaked it? Uh, that we don't know. We don't know. But really, we're talking they about... They were addressed to Scott Briggs, weren't they? Scott, I said, Jamie. Yes, yeah, Scott Briggs. And and, um, and I do apologise, listeners. The, um, uh, if you're receiving encrypted messages from one person to another, that means a loop of two people, Jack. It does, but they can be forwarded. And somebody else and somebody else has leaked them. We just really don't know the answer to that. We don't, but it would seem to be someone uh, – uh, anyway, it would seem to be someone who is seeking to do Pozzolo's reputation significant harm. Should he have been stood down? Uh, and there would be a list of people both within and without the public service seeking to do Michael Pozzolo harm that would stretch all the way around the MCG a couple of times. Yeah, still doesn't explain the leak. But um, um, uh, uh, should he have been stood down by the uh, minister? Yes. He should have been, shouldn't he? He should yeah. have been. He's currently under investigation, if we want to call it that, um, uh, from the, uh, uh, what, what is it called, Jack? The um, Oh, I, I, it's the old Public Service Commission. I don't know what's called. Yeah, now. pretty much. That, that, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he'll be under investigation there, and, and that resonates with... Uh, Yes, Minister and Yes, Prime Minister as well. Another sort of, uh, we'll wait about three months before they hand down a report. This should be career ending. I noticed Greg Jericho on Twitter said, Pozzolo seemed to think putting, now look, it's none of my business, or I don't wish to interfere at the start of text and that, get, get, that gives, it, gives him an out. Yeah, it doesn't work like sticking without prejudice on an offer of uh, on an offer and a lawyer. Well, it's letter. much the same thing, isn't it? Well, well no, but they actually work, but this doesn't work. No, okay. I mean, his mistake. His mistake was that um, uh, firstly wanting to fiddle in the in the democratic process, um, and mm. then committing that to a um, a, uh, a method of communication that could be leaked. Does he survive? When um, the, no, uh, I, I, th I think he'll probably go. Um, uh, does he get an $800,000 a year at, uh, job at AUKUS like the woman who made a mess of robot that, uh, to do no, or, or does he go altogether? I, you um, I suspect he goes altogether. If he goes, he, he, they're not going to find a nice little cushy job for him somewhere in the bureaucracy. Mm. I, so that's, I suspect. A, that, that's okay. He'll do what everyone else does, go off and become a consultant. He'd be on... I haven't checked his salary, um, but it would be a um, essentially a public document. Uh, he'd be on the best part of half a million a year, if not more. 
I'd say said yes more. And he's been in the public service, I think, probably long enough to be on the old defined benefit scheme. Mm, so uh, don't cry for him if he does get the bullet, Jack. Uh, now, uh, that's a busy, you know, it's all sport, all Australian sport aside, that's a busy, busy, busy uh, period in Australia, but we've got to move around the world now. Uh, and uh, we're looking at the EU. France and Germany on Tuesday will present their joint pitch on how the EU could adapt to new members during a, a meeting of European uh, Affairs Ministers in Brussels, Jack. Yeah, what, what they're essentially going to do is, what they're looking at doing, um, uh, is to come up with a, a new EU, in effect, uh, concentric circles of various levels of membership. Oh. Uh, um, Tony Blair's pushing this because he wants to get Britain back in in some way. Um, but, they're, but they're looking at... Um, uh, as it expands, having a really tight inner core of membership and then having um, even something they've always rejected in the past, having a possibility for people, for countries to be part of the common market, part of the free trade zone, but not participate in the, um, in, the in the politics of the EU. Right. Uh, that makes a bit of sense. I must just simply add, we've been looking at the performance of the UK and other EU, and, well, and... and EU members, uh, Germany's economy is really in big trouble at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, um, England, France, Italy, uh, sorry, the UK, France, Italy are all going just okay, just and Germany okay. and Germany's going pretty badly. Germany's going pretty badly, largely because of pressures on them in their manufacturing industry. Um, uh, so, what do you make of uh, what do you make of the, this idea of having, I guess, a tiered level of EU membership, Jack? Well, well the EU's um, struggling at the moment, um, and, and this is um, a good starting point to work out how to rebuild it so it would work better. Uh, here's a quote here, Jack: If Ukraine joins the EU, most member states will suddenly become net contributors and will not get any more money, uh, and uh, everything will move forward move toward the east. So if we want to fix that situation, we need more budget. Where did that come from? Olivia Costa, Director of Studies at the College of Europe, Jack. Uh, I'm not sure that Vladimir Putin would agree with that. Um, uh, no, but he's not going to get a vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah this, is, this is true. Um, uh, yes. Uh, um, uh, so it, it makes a bit of sense, doesn't it? I mean, these are, these are reasonable reforms. If they seem a little bit unworkable at the moment, these are reasonable reforms to to put countries like, let's use as an example, Moldova um, or Albania. Um, uh, we talked about Albania last week. It's basically it's what's regarded as Europe's first narco state now, um, but it is a member of the EU. Um, and, and so it would have a somewhat different role uh, going forward. Yeah, yeah, this is, a, a, in a sense, this is an inevitable consequence of the rapid expansion of the EU, um, that you have uh, different interests at play. You've got to find a way to accommodate that. All right. Now, UK, we told listeners last week that we were going to talk about the brand accusations. They had sort of just come out uh, as uh, we recorded last week. Uh, we were seeking a little bit of clarity on those. They're a joint... Um, uh, Sunday Times, Times and Channel 4 investigation identified four women who have uh, remained anonymous, who made claims of sexual uh, misconduct 
uh, rape and um, uh, an emotional abuse uh, committed by Brandon. Since that time, a number of other people have come forward, including an Australian woman um, who, uh, who claims that uh, Brand exposed himself to her uh, in California. Um, uh, Brand himself is using a really odd sort of defence, and we'll sort of talk about this. He believes that it's the legacy media colluding between big tech and government that have seen him uh, facing this. Um, he hasn't dealt with any of the specific allegations made against him other than to say that all sex he's ever experienced in his life or had during his life has been consensual. Um, and now we know that the uh, the Met and other UK policing uh, districts are, uh, are looking into investigations, uh, are looking into, I'm sorry, allegations that have been made subsequent to this uh, expose report by the Times and Channel 4. Um, he's, a, he's an odd figure, Jack. He, he was a, a sort of darling of the left for many, many years. Uh, and throughout that period in, in, in question, that's sort of a 2006-2013 sort of period, perhaps a little earlier than 2006-2. And during that time, he was a darling of the left. At some time, and I've been looking through a lot of his sort of musings and things, at some point, after 2013, he started to join this sort of counter-narrative from the fringe right, anti-vaccination movement, and those sorts of things. And I just wonder, Jack, what your thoughts are on, did he basically look at that group, that fringe group, and say, well, I can make a quit out of them? Or did he actually think in his, uh, in his moments of self-reflection, if I get nailed for some of the horrible things I am alleged to have done, maybe this is a good place for me to be. Uh, if he was looking for a good place to, to be to defend those accusations, he should have stayed with The Guardian. Yeah. Because, be, because, the, because the left will, like the right, will protect its own. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's an extraordinary story, his political uh, drifting to the to the fringe um, is not that remarkable, but it, I'm always troubled by ten year old allegations from anonymous sources. That that worries me a little. Um, uh, um, there's certainly plenty of evidence that he was a, a dreadful grub, um, but as to whether there's evidence of um, of crimes of any kind, um, uh, I much prefer to wait until they're properly investigated and he's brought before a court of law rather than just rely on 10-year-old anonymous accusations. Well, one of the, one of the uh, women is alleged, uh, has alleged that he raped her in California uh, and, that, uh, and, and that she, we know that she attended a, a, a rape centre the following day and, uh, and so there are medical reports that confirm her attendance. Uh, and we note that also uh, that uh, Brandt sent her a text of apology after, after that particular meeting uh, that would sort of indicate that he felt uh, that he had misconducted himself. Now, in that particular case, Jack, nothing will arise because uh, of the statute of limitations on that kind of offending, which I think is seven years in California, so there won't be a police investigation. Um, 
one of the things I just wrote about this today, it'll probably be up in the next couple of hours as we record this on the 28th of September, is that rather than the Me Too stuff where you do talk about people coming forward with allegations um, uh, some years after the offending, we do know one of the reasons for that is that it's extremely difficult to come forward and certainly put your name down. Uh, no matter what jurisdiction you're in. Um, but rather than seeing this as a sort of expression of me too, uh, I took the view that uh, that this um, uh, this uh, particular scandal should be viewed in, in through the through the light of um, Jimmy Savile's d- deplorable conduct and how basically Leeds lit up when he died. People crowded the streets. People had seriously no idea just how bad an offender this guy was. And I suspect the UK and more broadly the world is saying, we're not having any more of these shenanigans from entertainment industry prats. Uh, They're not going... That's the wrong lesson to take from the Jimmy Savile um, uh, uh, situation. Um, plenty of people knew how... We now know that plenty of people knew what Jimmy Savile was, uh, including uh, a good proportion of the BBC. Uh, but That's they did nothing wrong. about it. Uh, they but did the nothing public, about but it. the public did not know, Jack. And, that, and that's and that's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. There were, there were allegations going back to the 19, uh, 1960s uh, in regard to Savile. So we saw police complaints that were never pursued, at least three of them. Uh, this is Savile. Um, uh, we know that, you know, um, Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols was talking about, um, uh, was talking about uh, 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 Savile's mis- misbehaviour uh, in, in general terms. In an interview on BBC One, which never went, well, the references to Savile never went to air, so, so there was a sense there from victims that this guy was so heavily protected by his celebrity, by the broadcasters that made money off him, um, that they really were, you know, discouraged from coming forward. Yeah, and and and, and I think the same thing's possibly true. Possibly, uh, yeah. uh, About Russell Brand, that it was the people who he was working for at the time of these things, and they are the Guardian, the New Statesman, um, yep. uh, Vogue. Um, uh, he was, I think, he was um, a, a one-off editor for uh, for New Statesman and of the Vogue. Um, that they were, it looks like they were covering up for what they knew about him. It would seem, it, it would seem not just that, Jack, but that he was actually encouraged. See, I, I don't buy into this. Oh, it was all a different time. It wasn't really a different time. Some of these allegations are, are barely ten years old. Um, <coughs> It wasn't a different time, and there's no real grey area around this. I mean, rape is rape. Um, But it would seem that some of his people, while he was making money for them, some of the broadcasters and the media media themselves were almost encouraging him to behave more badly uh, than he was. Yes. Yeah, the same is true of Harvey Weinstein. Everybody... Everybody at a top level in Hollywood knew what he was like, knew what he was doing. Yeah. And they all covered it up. There he is doing 16 years in a Californian prison, Jack, uh, with his teeth falling out, which is a rather lovely sight. Uh, And uh, uh, But, yes, I think rather than me too, I think everything changed when Savile died 
because the general public who don't have access to these powerful media companies, who don't have uh, access to the royal family and their musings, or indeed Margaret Thatcher and the, and the Conservatives, Thatcher famously knighted Savile, um, despite uh, advice from the public service that he, he was a, a high-risk individual, uh, and, and that these and that these sort of constructs really seek to intimidate people who come who might might come forward. So when Savile died, he received you know there were there were there were Royal Marines carrying his casket uh, in, <laughs> around that day. You know he was cheered on the streets. And then within a month, and, and that was another balls up from the BBC. They had they had uh, documentary evidence from 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 for at least one uh, one uh, alleged victim. Uh, we could say victim, not alleged. Uh, and and that show never went to air. They instead ran replays of Jimmy Savile's Christmas shows of the past. Oh, there's credible evidence that they not only knew in the BBC what it was like, but they covered up for it. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, there were discreetly confirmed, um, well, vaguely confirmed uh, allegations of necrophilia um, at uh, at Stoke Mandeville Hospital. Um, you know, with the with the investigators there saying, "Well, yes, what we what we do know is he had access to the morgue." I mean, this guy is a pervert of the highest order and a pedophile so prolific it. Uh, uh, it, it, it beggars belief, and he was allowed to do this stuff for 60 years. And I think the general public is saying, we're not doing this anymore, right? If you've disgraced yourself uh, as a celebrity, the shield doesn't work anymore. All right, moving on. Labor and Brexit, Jack. It's, uh, it's two words that uh, don't really go together, aren't they? I mean, basically, we're talking about... Both sides of politics in the in in the UK not wanting to revisit Brexit at all. No, um, Keir Starmer um, uh, he wants to um, not to revisit Brexit, but um, to make sure that they don't dive, that the UK doesn't diverge from any EU rules, which is sort of an odd position. It's kind of uh, trying to have a foot in both camps a little bit. Right. Um, yes. Which I don't think he needs to do. Um, uh, he's got a, a healthy lead in, at the moment um, uh, in the in the polls. Um, uh, but um, what should he be doing, he, Jack? Holiday, holiday in Barbados, long yeah, holiday yeah, in Barbados. Pro- probably would be a better idea because I think every time he opens his mouth, their vote goes down. Mm. All right. And meanwhile, his uh, counterpart, the Prime Minister of the UK, Rishi Sunak, uh, has announced a slowing of the push to net zero, Jack. Yeah, he has. Um, uh, Two things in particular. Um, He's uh, uh, pushing back the proposed ban on gas boilers for homes. Most homes in the UK these days have a gas boiler that provides the hydronic heating that keeps the thing warm. Um, and provides the hot water for the shower. Uh, uh, and the other thing he's uh, pushing back on is there's going to be a ban on new petrol or diesel cars from 2030. Um, now, um, he's pushed them back to within um, the normal range of what the EU, the other EU, the countries in the EU are proposing. So it's hardly um, a complete reversal. 
both those, uh, the polling on both of those things, um, uh, the gas boiler thing is um, a polls at 60% approval of what he's, what he's done and the electric car thing polls at 75%. So they're quite popular um, and it's produced a, a small bounce, three, or three to five percent up for the Tories and down about the same for Labor. So um, it's it's interesting. It's a, another example, I think, of people are very keen on things like net zero until it starts costing them money themselves. All right. Into the Ukraine, Jack. Because, because the, 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 those gas boilers are going to cost most people £10,000 to do them. All right. Now, in the Ukraine, Jack, uh, Polish Prime Minister uh, Matusis Morawiecki has declared that his country is no longer transferring weapons to Ukraine. What's going on there? Um, What's going on there? Um, A a couple of different things. Um, They're running out of weapons to transfer to them, um, uh, despite the fact they're... um, And then they're taking action to fix that, as we spoke about some weeks ago. There's a rapid increase in the Polish military budget. But there's also a bit of a problem with um, uh, Ukrainians selling cheap grain into Europe, uh, which is undercutting the Polish grain. Ah, yes. Well, there you go. Look, uh, one of the things that uh, we don't have uh, down there, but it, it would seem that approval has been gr- granted now, Jack, for the longer-range missiles, the HIMARS uh, with now uh, the HIMARS, uh, they, they call, there's another, of course, a tedious military acronym attached to these, but um, the HIMARS have gone, they go about 90 kilometres. The ACMELs, I think they're called. Yeah, yeah that's right. And, uh, and, and they'll go about 240 kilometres, and they're being introduced uh, through the EU and through, or through NATO and, and, and obviously the US. So that's a, that's a significant effort. Um, uh, and of course, when we look at the polls, Jack, uh, and their military build-up, and it's been significant, as you say, and another increase in military spending in their budgets. Um, we look at the polls and the significant, the significant distaste for the Russians generally. I mean, um, we, we talk about a, a moment there where a Ukrainian missile misfire um, uh, killed uh, three people in Poland, uh, and. Uh, there was an initial view that the that this was a Russian missile, um, uh, and that uh, was uh, was ultimately corrected. But in the meantime, the Poles have gone right. Oh, here we go, Moscow. Off we go. Uh, the Poles and the Russians do not get along, Jack. They don't. Um, but the Poles are, um, are very practical. They're a pretty practical sort of government. Um, they they want to make sure Ukraine survives um, for all sorts of reasons, including their own selfish ones. Um, they don't want a border with Russia, um, but um, uh, they think that um, uh, there's got to be some accountability with the money spent, etc., and what's what the equipment's used for. Um, uh, we were speaking last week, I think, about how the summer offensive is going for Ukraine, and I read some more um, helpful assessments of the hopeful assessments of that. Um, nothing very definite, but. Um, as more information will be released, we can talk about it. But certainly some suggestion that although they haven't made a lot of ground, taken back a lot of territory, they've quite significantly improved their position. Mm. 
All right, now over to the United States, Jack. Now you and I are both dressed like slobs today, aren't we? Well, let's let's be completely honest with our with our audience here. Uh, I've got a sweatshirt on that's got uh, chlorine stains on it. You're in your traditional black there, and I can imagine and black t-shirt and black shorts. Black yeah. shorts, yeah. but we are doing a podcast. We're not senators for the United States. Uh, we, we are not senators. Uh, we wouldn't wouldn't be allowed to be senators. I, I, dare, I dare say, but uh, this all gets down to the Pennsylvanian senator, uh, Democrat senator Fetterman. Uh, what's his first name? Help me out. Uh, John Fetterman, I think. John Fetterman, that's right. And um, and uh, and he's been uh, given to wearing hoodies and shorts into uh, into the the US Congress, Jack. And and to be fair, without sort of making too much of a joke about this, he did suffer um, some fairly significant personal health problems, and uh, and deals with he claims deals with the anxiety that way, putting the suit and tie on. Uh, adds to his woes. That's that's his explanation, anyway. Uh, and this led to a change of dress code in in uh, in the Congress, Jack. Well, sort of an abandonment of the dress code, if you yeah. like, yeah. Um, uh, for for senators, not for staff. And, and this raised some interesting questions. He's actually from a quite well-to-do family. Um, uh, um, is Senator Fetterman, and uh, a Twitter commenter commenter put this way. Uh, described it as an uncharacteristically elitist gesture. He comes from an affluent family, so he's never had to prove that he belongs in an in, in an exalted space. A working class person would never dress that way for an important job. This I had this experience when I was first working as a lawyer, and you would go out, um, and, and we worked for for a lot of different trade unions. Um, and you would go out and spend a morning or perhaps a whole day in the office um, uh, and provide service to their members. Now, you could go to the teachers' union or the public service union um, in a pair of jeans and a shirt and a, a sports jacket, not a problem at all. But you certainly would never dress like that if you were going down to the Waterside Workers' Federation or to the Metal Workers' Union or to the Construction Union because they wanted their lawyer in a good suit. Uh, they expected their lawyer to be in a good suit, and that's <laughs> right. what you had to do. <coughs> and, okay. and, and, and it is an affectation of the well-off um, to be a Mark Zuckerberg or whatever and go to work in a in a crappy T-shirt, um, but people who are really working class, they expect that if you're going to do a job like that, you dress appropriately. Please take note, Tony Sheldon, Senator Sheldon in Australia. Yeah, yeah we have we have spoken about Tony Sheldon who uh, goes the uh, the open neck uh, open neck polo uh, often uh, while he's uh, sitting in the Senate. Um, uh, if, you, just, if you want to dress like that, do a podcast like we do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You can do that. You can do so. You can do that in your underpants. And any job you can do in your underpants, you should do in your underpants. That's always been my view, Jack. Yeah. Um, Donald Trump uh, facing a two hundred and fifty million dollar claim from uh, the Southern District of New York. A judge has uh, found that Donald Trump did commit fraud. Uh, by exaggerating the value of his wealth and cancelled the former president's New York business licences, which could hamper his long-time company's ability to operate in New York, in the state of New York. Um, Justice Arthur Ngoran found Trump 77, his family and his business, the Trump Organization, liable for fraud, the key claim in uh, uh, New York uh, AG Letitia James sprawling lawsuit against the defendants. Where does that leave the Trumpster? Jack, 250 men just about clean him out, wouldn't it? 
Um, oh, I don't, who knows how how bad his finances <laughs> are? He's, it depends. Uh, whether, it depends whether he's assessing for tax or if he's applying for yeah, finance. Yeah, for applying for a loan. Um, who knows how um, uh, bad his finances are? Um, and you'd yeah, you'd need to spend a send a lot of forensic accountants through there for about a year to find oh, the answer. To that. that won't. That wouldn't be enough. That wouldn't be long enough. Mm. You'd need an, you'd, you'd need something the size of the uh, U.S. Marine Corps, and uh, they'd be highly skilled, and probably still take them ten years. Yeah. Um, uh, so legally, I don't know where it leaves him. I, su- I suspect that it won't hold up. Um, I suspect it'll be lost on appeal. Uh, politically, uh, doesn't hurt him at all. Um, he's what Trump is has been well known for so long because he's been such a public figure for so long. He's a dodgy property developer from Queens. People were going to say, well, you mean he was lying to the banks to get a loan? Uh, well, that's not a problem. Um, and it doesn't seem to be a Well, it is yet. fraud, Jack. <laughs> I mean, um, if you get now for it, um, you know, like if an average punter or, or even someone, uh, let's say a property developer, uh, inflates their assets obtains finance and then goes belly up, there's a very strong chance that that person will be charged with fraud. Yeah, um, uh, he won't be jailed for this at least. No, he can't be And I don't think he'll pay a political cost. doesn't seem to be. The last last poll I, poll I saw yesterday for ABC, he's got a 54-43 lead in the general election. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I see that there. But look, uh, as we've made clear on this program, Jack, uh, Biden and Trump, uh, if they had any sense uh, and any sense of duty to their country, both should step aside. Um, yeah, I, I think the dead, the real, the real deadline for for Biden. I, mean, I, I don't think Trump will step aside. The deadline for Biden to make up his mind is probably December. Yeah, I think that's about right. That's about right. Meanwhile, Jack, how in India? How are India and Canada getting on? After the imbroglio there, with uh, with the Canadians jumping up and down, that a uh, uh, murder occurred in uh, British Columbia of a Sikh activist, and then they're pointing the figure at in, uh, Indian uh, security agencies being involved in that. How are they getting on now? Are they kissed and made up. Uh, no, uh, as I uh, uh, suggested last week, there's a problem from both sides in this, that the Indians um, see the Canadian government um, and uh, Canadian politicians cozying up to people they call terrorists. And uh, the India has a, now officially labelled Canada as a, an international terrorist sanctuary. Um, uh, because of that cozying up to the what the Indian government sees as Sikh terrorists who are hiding in Canada, hiding amongst the um, large Sikh diaspora in Canada. And, uh, and, and of course, while we're sticking with Canada, Jack, uh, uh, the Ukrainian president, uh, Zelensky, uh, um, uh, made a speech to the Canadian parliament, joint sitting of the Canadian parliament, to rapturous applause, Jack. Yes. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, it would seem that... Um, uh, While he was in the parliament, I might, this, the, the, the second bit out. Yes, that uh, you've got uh, a fellow by the name of Yaroslav Hunk, who was a Nazi who fought with the 14th Division of the Waffen-SS against the Russians in Ukraine in World War II. Hunk assisted in the systemic extermination of Ukraine's Jewish population and the installation of a Nazi dictator in the region. Uh, Hunk also engaged in wholesale slaughter of Ukrainian people and entire villages disloyal to Hitler. 
Zelensky led uh, Canadian Parliament a roaring standing round of applause for this 98-year-old Nazi. What happened there, Jack? Um, the Speaker, uh, I, don't know, I don't know whether you've seen the video, probably you tucked, no, up, in bed, tucked up in bed with plenty of fluids. Yeah. Um, uh, the, 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 the Speaker um, welcomed a chap from his own constituency who is this Nazi um, from World oh, War II. Oh, living in Canada now is Yaroslav. Yeah, been, been living in Canada for a long time, since uh-huh. the war probably. Um, and um, and he announced him, and um, uh, this ninety-something-year-old uh, former Nazi was giving two standing ovations. Every single member of the Canadian Parliament were on their feet cheering him. Twice this happened. Um, uh, uh, Zelensky himself was clapping along with um, uh, with all of this. Well, might I suggest that no one seemed to know, including the Speaker, who's actually resigned as a result of this, uh, uh, because yeah. he was the one who led the applause, led, led the applause in the Canadian Parliament for a Nazi and a mass murderer, Jack. Yeah, um, so he's been thrown out of the bus. Um, uh, Justin Trudeau didn't know anything about it, uh, which um, uh, I, I would have thought, um, un- unless his office are completely hopeless, they would have been all over the organisation of the visit of uh, Vladimir Volensky, uh, Zelensky to the parliament and what was going to happen and what was going to be said. Um, uh, uh, but Justin's come out and, first of all, he came out and blamed the Russians. Um, uh, he said, this is all Russian disinformation. Um, uh, and uh, that's a bit odd because it's a bit hard to see how the Russians could organise for the Speaker of the Canadian Parliament to, uh, yeah. to, uh, to do anything. Well, it seems the blame lies in, in, in the Speaker's office. Um, the, the polls have actually called for the extradition or had raised the possibility of extraditing uh, the, uh, the Nazi boy that everyone got, uh, got, got a round of applause from. Yeah, because that, that particular unit that he was part of, which is part of the Waffen-SS, um, uh, committed some atrocities in Ukraine, um, uh, but uh, quite a few more in, uh, in, in, in Polish territory, you know, um, um, imprisoning of Jews, um, uh, uh, raising of villages, etc., etc. Um, so right. Justin's yeah, just now come out and apologised and said, look, we we really didn't know who we were applauding, which is, you know, that's a pretty terrible thing to have to say. Well, it, it, it would seem to be genuine, a genuine error, but it, 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 it it's, yeah, as you say, do the due diligence. If you're going to be applauding, dare I say it, anyone from the Ukraine or Russia or indeed Germany who's in their 90s, you'd want to do a bit of a background check first, you, Jack. You, you might want to do a background check, and, um, uh, and I'm sure that the Speaker ought to be embarrassed, but so should the Prime Minister and well, his gone. office. Yeah, well, the Speaker's gone. Speaker has resigned, Jack. So there you go. Now, we've got... This is the, one of the biggest weeks... One, th- in- one thing we can say for sure is that Justin won't be doing the um, the cosplaying anymore with the Indian in no, broccoli. No, I would suggest uh, putting on the Awafen SS gear would be a retrograde step, Jack. Um, uh, now, we must uh, we must attend to matters. Sport, of course, it is one of the biggest uh, weeks and weekends coming uh, in the sporting calendar in Australia. Uh, we have two grand finals, one on Saturday in the afternoon, traditional Jack, the the AFL's grand final will be played on the Saturday afternoon between Collingwood and the Brisbane Lions. Uh, the Brisbane Lions were uh, 
relentless in their uh, in their win against Carlton. Uh, uh, started very slowly, perhaps due to their break, uh, uh, having a week off, uh, but then uh, showed themselves to be a quality outfit. And, and quite frankly, as I expected it to be, uh, and played against Collingwood, who, it must be said, were a bit lucky, Jack. Might have been a bit lucky or held the line, I suppose, is the best thing we can say when, when, the, when the Giants came at them pretty hard. Um, yeah. Some pretty um, questionable umpiring too. I think that's, that's a fair assessment. Um, Collingwood seemed to find a way to get this done. Well, of, of the two sides, I think that... Uh, Brisbane have much more talent. Yeah, um, I think they've got more weapons. Uh, but more talent doesn't necessarily get you a grand final win. Um, history has told us that time and time again. True enough. Um, I just think they're set. I mean, they've missed the last grand final, the last three, I think last two, if not three grand finals, getting rolled in prelims. They just look a bit set. Uh, they've settled down some of their big-name recruits, um, for over the last couple of years. And Dunkley was fantastic against uh, Paddy Cripps on uh, Saturday night. Um, they've, they've had uh, one less day to recover. That might be another thing, Jack, that we could take into account. But um, I, I haven't looked at the markets and I'm, I presume that, that Collingwood has uh, installed fairly tepid favourites, but I'm just presuming that. Um, and uh, I just think that Brisbane looks set, but the, you know, if this was play of the Gabba, that you know, Brisbane would be playing dollar four. Um, but uh, but it's played at the MCG where their record isn't great. It was okay this year, but it wasn't great. Um, and so that sort of leaves the door open for Collingwood. Certainly, what we're seeing, as we'll see with the NRL, is the two best sides are playing off in the grand final. Yeah, well, two of the best three. I think the best best. Best three performed sides in the AFL this year have been uh, Collingwood, Brisbane and Melbourne. Um, as one of the good commentators, Joe Montana, said, he thought um, going into the Collingwood-Melbourne qualifying final that whoever won that would have one hand on the cup. And I'm a little bit inclined to agree with that. Um, but it's a, you know, a bit of a battle between... Brisbane's fantastic forward line. Can't remember a forward line that was quite so talented. They're going to play five forwards who've kicked more than 20 goals this year um, on Saturday, um, and Collingwood will have three. Um, so yeah, it's a very talented forward line. A lot but, of weapons. And their defensive unit there too, led by Andrews, the captain, is, is, is well, very, I, I very I think Collingwood's defence is better, but um, they've got to beat a terrific forward line for Brisbane. Yeah, and then their mids are on song too. It's going to be a great game, as I say. I, I certainly think the two best-performed sides in, in, the, in the comp throughout the season are playing off in this game. And that's kind of what you want. doesn't always work that way. But that's kind of what you want when you're looking forward to a, a ripping grand final. Uh, I don't think it'll be, uh, you know, ten goal victories either way. I think it's going to be pretty close. Um, and, and then when we move to the NRL, Jack, we've got the Panthers looking at the three peat uh, up against uh, the Broncos. Do you give the Broncos any chance at all? Um, uh, only if the Panthers have a shocker. It really depends on that start, and that's one thing that's just seems to be ingrained in the Panthers is they, they just start so well. They blew Melbourne off the park in the first 20 minutes of the game last week. Uh, Brisbane were had a comfortable win over the Warriors. 
again, the two best sides are moving forward into it. Who's your tip there, Panthers? Yeah. Lions and Panthers for me. Now, Jack... Uh, and, and, well, and I'll, we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with Collingwood. I think they'll they'll, um, they'll they'll get it done somehow. Now, what about Fiji, Portugal, Jack? Do you give Portugal any chance there at all, and and leave the door ajar for the for a Wallabies? Because uh, it's actually not confirmed that the Wallabies the Wallabies are out of the out of the competition just yet. No, it's not. Um, I think I said to you. After um, Fiji played Wales and uh, Wales had a lucky escape, um, that watching that, I didn't think Australia would beat either of them, um, and that's proven to be true. Um, well, they got absolutely, absolutely belted. Some friends of mine went along to the game in uh, Lyon, and um, and uh, and uh, well, they left. They left with I think about fifteen minutes to go. Because yeah, they knew uh, it was going to be a huge disaster. Yeah, um, and you know, what does it mean? For people are terribly worried about it. I, um, I've seen it. I, yeah, it, it means, um, yeah, like we we're saying before about football club going bad. You've got to go back to square one and start again. But they um, don't, and, they and, never and do. that means you've got to get your structures right, and you've got to get the right people in there. Um, I was talking to a, a rugby friend the other day, and he said. Um, they've got to look at why the NRL and AFL are more successful. And the first thing he would do would be to have an inquiry as to what's wrong with our structure and what we could do better. Um, he said, I would grab um, uh, David Gallop from the NRL um, and someone from the AFL. Um, uh, and I said, well, I, I, I'd grab Andrew Ireland because um, he understands Sydney and Brisbane well. Um, uh, that's probably too late because I think Andrew Islands joined the AFL Commission. Uh, but put them in charge of coming up, well, if it's not Andrew Islands, someone like him, of coming up with a structure for rugby that's actually going to work and for a, some kind of a blueprint as to how we go forward um, and, and then try and find the right people to run it. Um, it's, it's that basic with rugby. Fiddling with the coach is not going to fix it. They've really got to get the structure right. Well, it, yeah, but they've had many opportunities. I mean, this is, you know, I, I wrote to a friend uh, before the Wallabies Wales game and said, uh, and asked, I said, this is, I said, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that this, this is a game for the future of rugby union in this country. Uh, and whether it becomes uh, a competitive code with the other football codes in this country or whether it sinks into sort of second level status, so much like field hockey. And I think that's kind of where we are now. I mean, there'll always be rugby union played in, you know, uh, central New South Wales, uh, uh, a bit around my part of the uh, my part of the world as well. The, the AFL is constantly encroaching on those markets, but they will have those uh, those sort of neat that sort of niche market around uh, regional New South Wales and Queensland. Um, uh, their rights, uh, broadcast rights, I think they were receiving some $70 million from Nine and Stan to cover the game. Um, the, they, you know, the broadcasters and can now just turn around and say, we're not paying that. We'll, we'll give you half. So they've, they've got major financial problems going on too, Jack. Uh, Jamie uh, Pandaram uh, wrote a uh, rather lovely uh, uh, exposition of just how bad the situation is. Um, 
I had a mate of mine was a rugby union or New South Wales rugby union development officer in and around the Southern Highlands and the Illawarra and so forth. You know, he's made redundant about five years ago. I mean, the AFL's got 27, got 27, I don't know, but that's off the top of my head, but they're in the 20s, development officers in the same area. Rugby union let one let the only bloke that they had go. Um, this, this is still fixable. Um, they've got the next World Cup. Um, they've got to get it, um, get the structure right before then. They'll get a lot of money out of the World Cup. Um, it is fixable, but they've got to really start again. Yeah, I don't know. I think things are pretty good. Anyway, at the World Cup, uh, uh, Ireland got the chocolates just over South Africa. Um, so it looks like Ireland will play the Kiwis in the in a quarterfinal and the, in the other quarterfinal will be France and South Africa. Mm. Um, um, but just they're the top four sides in the, in, in, in the comp easily, mm, but yeah. just two of them go through to the semifinals. Um, and I would expect one of those two to win. The All Blacks are going okay, aren't they? They're a bit under the radar, mm. but they're going okay, aren't they? They're just okay. Just okay. I mean, the, the, the French have been terrific. The Irish, the, the knock on the Irish was that they, uh, they might have been ranked highly in world rankings, but every time they get to a World Cup, they underperform. Um, uh, but uh, that seems not to be the case here. Um, they're a very good side. It's a shame, really. I mean, if it was world rankings time, it'd, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the final would be Ireland v France, wouldn't it? Um, I think it still probably will be um, uh, because they'll get. To, uh, I think they'll get to the semi-finals and they'll play for the the other semi uh, other quarter-final winnings winners. Mm. All right, that's uh, coming to come. Well, we're just uh, just getting out of the group uh, out of the group zones with Australia. Unfortunately, very likely if that is if Fiji beat Portugal and Georgia, they will be knocked out of the competition. Um, and uh, that's where we stand. It's a it's a real blow for the for the for the code in this game. And I regard it as sad rather than I mean I used to joke, I used to joke with some of my mates who, uh, who watch rugby union and say, mate, you're, you guys are the new lacrosse um, in Australia. Uh, but I actually think it's a bit sadder than that. Uh, they are really in a bad way. And the hire, look, we we have to address the, the the hiring of Eddie Jones, which was a captain's pick, which is never a good basis to do anything. Um, and uh, and it's been a complete and utter disaster, Jack. Yeah, but the problems are much bigger than Eddie oh, Jones. Oh, yeah. No, look, I understand that, but, but um, look, Jones is probably doing what Jones always does. He's just waiting back, waiting, sitting sitting back, waiting to be sacked, uh, and that way he can take uh, his contractual payout and go and coach somewhere else. Well, I... Putting myself in the head of the who is it McLennan who made the decision? Um, yeah. I, I expect he thought that they might get um, the sort of sugar hit that appointing Eddie Jones has gotten for teams in the past. That is, there's an immediate improvement, and then they fall away pretty quickly. And I thought I think I think he took the gamble that if look if we appoint Eddie, if I appoint Eddie, um, we'll get a sugar hit. We'll do a little bit better in the World Cup than we otherwise did, and it just didn't work. Um, and yeah. that, oh, yeah. look, but as you say, you, you, the, the structural problems around the game in New yeah. South Wales and Queensland are such that, yeah, uh, getting rid of the coach is is uh, you would regard as a little more than a good start. Um, yeah. And uh, they've got a lot of work to do there to avoid becoming uh, the new lacrosse in Australia. All right, Jack, now we've used uh, Mike Carlton as the reverse barometer throughout the program, so we might as well wrap up with him. 
I know I just like this. Um, uh, Mark on Twitter, and when he's not being angry with everyone who doesn't agree with him, um, uh, <laughs> he's flown Virgin to Adelaide. And he put it this way, I very deliberately flew Virgin to Adelaide and back. I'm not sure what that means. Does he normally accidentally fly Virgin? Does he think he's lining up for Qantas and then getting the Virgin the cube by mistake? Oh man, if man, if his status, Jack, he, he's he's just you know, people do the travel agency work for him, so he's just picking up tickets at the airport. So you know, very often he he has no control over these things, but obviously he's given Qantas a big swerve this time. Yeah, and look, I know um, uh, you love um, a bit of a story about uh, the anti-vaxxer nuts, and I've got a ripper for you this morning. Uh, Naomi Wolf, do you remember her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, not to be confused with Naomi Klein. They're two very different people. Yes, you know? I've seen this. Um, and people make that error, much to the, much to the disgust of Naomi Klein. Um, Naomi Wolf um, uh, has gone down the rabbit hole on this. She's got uh, cooked. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, she was on Twitter yesterday um, saying, saying that that women who are over 60s, um, they can sit next to a vaccinated woman on a bus and get menstrual cramps. Is and, that right? Now, this is, and, you know, she's conducted clinical experiments yeah, there. She's and, hung around and, a lot of buses. Not just that. Even if they stay in a hotel where an unvaccinated woman has stayed in the hotel room before her, this can happen. They can start menstruating at 60. Yeah. Well, yeah. resume menstruating at 60, yeah. shall we say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she, she's gone. She's, she, 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 yeah. uh, it's actually a little bit, bit, bit sad to see. Why do you think these people do this? We're talking about, we're talking about brand before. What do you think that is? I mean, have they just not, not got enough? It's hard to say this in, in regard to um, uh, in regard to her. Have they just not got enough intellectual um, uh, force of enough intellectual force behind them, or, or do they actually openly court this because all of a sudden those people will say to them, "Oh well, you know, glad to have you along, isn't it? Lovely that you that you're with us now." Yeah, it's hard. It it's clouds? hard to know. Who knows? It's hard to- it's hard to know the answer to that. And people were talking about what causes this and what to do on Twitter. And um, a woman who I, I think was Amy Elcon, uh, who's on, on Twitter a lot, um, and people were talking about this is what, you know, this is what's gone wrong and that's got wrong, gone wrong. Um, and Amy Elcon said what she really needs is, is a couple of good friends who say, look, you've got a problem. We need to get you some help. Well, that's the thing. Often with these with these sorts of people, their friends just back off. So that that's that they sort of sit solid in their families and so forth. Can can you, can you imagine hosting her at a Christmas at a Christmas family uh, lunch, Jack? You know, well, you'd have to all wear your vaccination badge so that you know where to sit. Well, and then she'd suddenly suddenly start menstruating all over the place, and uh, and then you just wouldn't have much of a much of a uh, a, yeah. a Christmas dinner at all. But yeah, look, it's you know, one of the things that this Royal Commission um, into uh, Pandemic Management should be looking at is how the hell do these people get so cool? Um, and uh, she is she is just one of them. I perhaps uh, subpoena her and drag her along to give some evidence, Jack. Mm. 
All righty. Well, thank you for your time today, Hong Kong Jack, and uh, thank you, listeners, for tuning into us. Uh, we hope uh, we've been entertaining, informative, and occasionally amusing about all of this today. Uh, and uh, we just remind you that we uh, enjoy your feedback. So drop us a line. Um, you can hit me up on uh, at Jack the Insider on Twitter. My DMs are always open uh, there, and you can hit. Uh, uh, Hong Kong Jack up on his Substack. What give it to me, please, Jack? Hongkongjack.substack.com. There you go. And uh, drop us a line and let us know if you've any, any comments, criticisms, etc. We uh, really look forward to receiving that sort of stuff. Uh, thank you, Jack, for your time today. And thank you, listeners. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>